0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, uh, we are continuing on in the book of Acts. So um, if you've been part of this series you will remember that we're trying to take a, a biblically rooted, gospel-centered look at the birth of the church, and we're hoping to use that look at the birth of the church as a way to navigate current issues, and uh, today's going to be no different because I want to talk about the question, were the first Christians socialists? And the pitchforks and the torches came out on both sides, just anticipating what I might say. Um, now, I know that there's a lot of uh, political, cultural sort of uh, heat in the air. And if we're not careful, as even as followers of Jesus, if when we're having conversations about these things, we can generate a lot more heat than light. I don't want to do that today. I want to generate light and not heat if, if I can. So, uh, we've come to a passage today that quite often, this is just our, our journey through the book of Acts, but this passage that we're looking at today quite often comes up when uh, Christians are talking with one another about how to have a, a biblically centered economy and, and civics and, and things like that. This, bless you, this passage comes up quite a bit. And so we're going to deal with this passage in that light today. Is everybody okay with that? <laughs> um, so, like I said, right now, um, this topic is, you know, sort of politics. You guys know that politics are pretty heated right now. Everybody recognize that? Uh, and, you know, the, the, like the, um, the electoral races are heating up and there are ads all over television. You see hyperbole on this side. Hyperbole on that side. I don't want to do any of that. Uh, today. um, I don't want sparks to fly. You know, when I I posted sort of a midweek promo of our gathering today, that post on Facebook got the most reaction and most immediate reaction of any post that I've ever posted advertising a sermon that was coming up. I was like, apparently we've hit a nerve, (laughs) You, you know. I got private messages about it um it, it was it was really interesting um so it's a real question that we're going to be dealing with today so today's topic may and today's discussion may feel a little different than really any of our church gatherings but it should be fun okay so we're in the book of acts chapter 4 and we're going to be reading verses 32 through 37 acts 4 32 through 37 and while you're turning there let's remember what the book of acts is this is the definitive historical account of what happened Um, and what took place after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to empower his followers, his disciples, to carry on the mission that he started. Again, we're looking at the birth of the church. And what we saw is that the apostles followed through with Jesus' mission, going about taking the kingdom of God with them everywhere they went, preaching the gospel And here in context, again, we have the birth of the church. It's just taking place in Jerusalem. And you had people from all over the surrounding lands coming to the city for a pilgrimage of Passover. The Holy Spirit came. People were radically saved and began to follow Jesus. And they began to follow Jesus in a hostile environment where you had the Roman government and you had the Jewish religious leaders all looking to this new thing that they called the way that Christians had begun to follow this guy named Jesus who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. And so these new, this new community of followers of the Messiah developed a way to, to live in this hostile environment. That's where we pick up Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. I'll be reading from the ESV. That'll be on the screen. And if you have another copy of the Word of God, you can follow along in that. It says, Now the full number of those who believed Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so how do we address this passage? I think one of the first questions we need to ask about this passage is in its historical context, this is a historical account, this is like being recorded, uh, what happened by Luke. And so, uh, we need to ask, is this something that is merely descriptive of what was taking place at the time? Or is it also not only descriptive, but also prescriptive? Like your doctor would write you a prescription, hey, do this, right? Is it descriptive or prescriptive? And what I mean, again, is, is a description of how those Christians lived, or is it also that, but also a description of how all Christians everywhere at all times Should live. So, first, uh, to get at the answer to that question, we need to say, okay, what's being described? Let's look at that. What's actually taking place here? Kind of make, it won't be coming up on the screen, but make a mental list in your head. Um, It doesn't directly say that the apostles commanded what was going on. It just records this is what was happening. And the text doesn't say that. you know that the text seems to indicate that this was a something that was just taking place this is what the followers of Jesus were doing it also seems to indicate and you can follow along with me that the selling of things wasn't really total it was partial look at verse 32 it says and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common so clearly things are being described as Still being owned by people, but there's, it's saying that they didn't have the mindset. Hey, this is mine. This is mine, not yours. Right? This is, they're not. That's not the attitude. It says they weren't any of them saying to the things uh, about the things that, that that they owned that it was his. But they had everything in common. And then in verse 35, it says that people who had houses and fields and things like that were indeed selling them in bringing them to the apostles so that the apostles could distribute it the, the proceeds of those sales and make sure that people didn't have any needs it says in verse 36 that Bar- Barnabas sold a field uh, apparently it was one of the things he owned he sold a field to go toward the proceeds of the church Now, it doesn't say he sold all he had it says he sold a field um, and next week uh, i think some context on both sides is important and i won't get into your message james but in next week, uh, chapter 5 talks about this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And those of you who might be familiar with that account in Scripture may remember that their sin against the Holy Spirit was not that they didn't sell everything that they had. It was not that they didn't give 100% of what they had, they had sold, but that they lied about that what they sold. Um, they lied about the percentage that they gave. and the Apostle Peter will tell them, "Hey, you guys could have kept all of it, but you lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, So that's what's going on in the text itself. And we'll return back to that description here in just a little bit. But since this question comes up, when politics and particularly economics are talked about, usually it um, comes up, okay, well, they had all things in common. It looks to me like the first Christians were practicing socialism. And I just want to For those of you who it's been a while since you've had civics or economics, let's be reminded of what socialism is. I took a, I tried to find as neutral of definition as I could from Encyclopedia Britannica. Been around a while. It says socialism is a social and economic is that on the screen is a social uh, and economic doctrine that calls for public rather than private ownership or control of property and natural resources. According to the socialist view, individuals do not live or work in isolation, but live in cooperation with one another. Furthermore, everything that people produce is in some sense a social product, and everyone who contributes to the production of a good is entitled to share it. Society as a whole, therefore, should own or at least control property for the benefit of all its members. This conviction puts socialism in opposition to capitalism, which is based on private ownership of the means of production and allows individual choices in a free market to determine how goods and services are distributed. Now, uh, that, of course, describes socialism and capitalism in their like purest forms. And there are other forms, but we want to talk about things as clearly as we can today. Uh, now, of course, I, like everyone else, have opinions about Whether socialism or capitalism or some mix or something else is the ideal way to go. Um, I I think I have reasons for holding my opinions, and I hope most people have reasons for holding their opinions. And if you want to talk about that after the service, James will be right right over there. Uh, uh, No, seriously, though... um, My goal isn't today to convince you of which is the best system, and I hope that's not disappointing to anyone. Um, All of us, again, lean on one side more than another, Um, and I honestly think there are virtues and flaws in both systems, and I want to talk about that just briefly, and regardless of which side of the spectrum you fall on, hang in there. We will talk about both sides, okay? So, no arrows or tomatoes or anything like that. At any point, I will talk about them both. Um, I want to talk, first talk about a major strength I see of socialism. And one of the uh, main reasons that a lot of Christians point to socialism is that socialism seeks to make sure that no one is left behind. Socialism sees someone who is downtrodden and in need and that sort of thing and the goal is to say, you know what, we don't want anyone downtrodden or anyone in that sort of need. And as our scripture says today, that no one, we don't want to have anyone lacking anything. So I would say that in, in some ways, I think socialism gets something right uh, about human nature is that we have dignity. We deserve care and compassion. Now again, any economic system designed by and engaged in by human beings is going to have both strengths and weaknesses uh, because that 's just what we do that 's who we are uh, we 're creating the image of God, but we 're fallen are we not uh, so one of the biggest flaws I see in socialism is that it misses another uh, component of what it means to be human, like we talked about at the beginning of Acts, a biblical anthropology, a biblical view of, of mankind. Um, is that it misses the it, it it misunderstands the fallen part of our nature. So it gets the dignity part, but I think it misses the fallen part of the sinfulness of human nature. Here's what I mean. There's an early socialist named Robert Owen, who was an industrialist and he owned businesses and and that sort of thing. And but his businesses were highly profitable for that day and. They were really humane for that day. Children under 10 couldn't work for him, which doesn't sound revolutionary for us, uh, but it was at the time. And Owen's fundamental belief um, and he was one of the sort of the seminal uh, foundational writers about socialism he said that human nature isn't fixed but formed. He says, if people are selfish, depraved or vicious, it's because social conditions have made them so change the conditions he argued and people will change teach them to live and work together in harmony and they will do so well as christians we would say that we're actually both nature and nurture we would say that we are shaped by our environment but we would also say that there's something very real about human beings and that and it's fixed in us we're fallen we're we're sinners we're creating the image of God, deserving of dignity, no doubt. But we're also fallen uh, on a fundamental level, and so we are conditioned in some ways. But we're also the conditioners. You know, we society doesn't just affect us. We are the builders of society, and the brokenness of society is because we we people are are sinners. We're we're broken, and so uh, you know, if we are selfish, depraved, and vicious, as Owen. Described it. It's not only because of our social conditions, it's because of the wickedness of the human heart. And I think socialism is flawed at that level uh, because it gets like half of the human nature, uh, it misses that. We're, we're, we're both and, nature and nurture. Now, um, again, a major part of our nature is that we're sinners. And so we're prone to things like uh, envy and laziness. And we can be spiteful and self-centered. And because those are our default settings in a, in a purely socialist system, you can get things like, uh, you know, people end up being disincentivized from being innovators or productive because somebody else will, will pick up the slack uh, or pick up the tab. Um, and you trust a, a few ind- fallen individuals to manage the future of all fallen individuals. Now hang in there. Because that actually brings us to what I think is a very major flaw in capitalism. And again, it goes to the human heart. Do you not know that we can be self-centered? I just said that, right? Do you not know that we can be greedy and selfish and uncaring people? I think we all know that, do we, do we not? And do you not recognize then that capitalism leaves the door wide open for those things to have full reign? For, for exploitation, in other words. Um, we all know of huge corporations, even here in our own country, like Nike and Apple and, and companies like that, that outsource the, build, the making of their materials to sweatshops and other lands. People work for pennies a month or whatever. Um, also, we can buy the new iPhone for $2,000. And so in a purely survival of the fittest, which is what capitalism is, environment, um, you can have people who start out with disadvantages, yet really do want to work hard, but can't get out of the pit no matter how hard they work, because they've got the boot of somebody on them who purely wants to make a profit. So I think that's a real flaw of capitalism. Um, Now, a real strength of capitalism... And one reason many Christians point to it is because capitalism capitalizes on our sinful nature. We're greedy, right? We uh, want rewards. We want to push ahead. We're willing to to put other people down to raise ourselves up. Capitalism recognizes all of that and capitalizes on it uh, to produce things like innovation. So the outworking of that can people who want to innovate and work hard are incentivized. They can... Work as hard as they want, and make as much as they want, and push ahead as much as they want. So I hope we can see that, on one hand, socialism gets the human dignity part right, but misses the other part of human nature that we're fallen. Capitalism gets the fallenness part right, but I think can oftentimes be exploited and miss the human dignity part. Right. So you can see that I've provided very real strengths and weaknesses of both Socialism and capitalism, why do they have very real strengths and weaknesses? Because they're human institutions. This is stuff that we are doing. We're trying to, to and I hope all of us have great intentions. Again, I believe something I said to somebody on Facebook. Um, they had said, there's no way that this particular view, people who hold this particular view, can have good intentions. And I disagree. I think that people, both capitalists and socialists and people in between, can have both good and bad intentions, because we're all made in the image of God and fallen sinners. Um, so these are human systems. And again, you may lean toward one system as you think it's best, and I lean toward another, and, and those sorts of things. And I think that's great. I think they're worth talking about because these systems impact people. right? And I think we as Christians should have a holistic Christian worldview where everything is viewed through the lens of the gospel, And let's talk about that together, right? Economics is one of those things. But as Christians, I just want to encourage us in this atmosphere of like heat right now, try to put on the other person's shoes. Listen to their... Hopefully they have reasons for thinking what they do. Listen to their reasons. Give somebody the benefit of the doubt. We are not evil just because we disagree with each other on topics like this. so I hope we can talk about these things. If, if, um, again, I, I truly believe that socialists and capitalists are, are, are capable of both. So let's, let's work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and work out the world's problems in the same manner with one another. I think by God's grace we can do that. I really do. I think the Holy Spirit is big enough to let us not have our economics be a litmus test for what it is to be a Christian. Right. These are open-handed things for us as a church, not closed-handed things for us as a church. Um, so, again, these are, these are important, and we should talk about them. Um, and hopefully we, we, we will be able to at some point. Uh, but these aren't, these aren't central issues. And let me, let me just say something really, really clear here. If economics or politics or whatever becomes the central issue, for any of us, myself included, as a Christian, we have left our first love. Not that these things aren't important, but if they become what we're the soapbox we're on all the time, you know, we're, we've we've left our first love. We've we've missed it. So let's get back to our text. Okay, um, we made a list in our heads about what was going on. And what I want to show you right now is that this text really isn't talking about economics at all. At all. You might say, really? Yes. Let's check it out. What is described? Is this socialism? Is this capitalism? I would say it's neither. It's not socialism nor capitalism. What we see here is Christian charity. This is not an economic system that we're seeing work out here in the book of Acts. This is... Christian charity. Notice that they were not giving all their goods to the Roman government to have them redistributed. It was the church. And even there, it wasn't something that was forced. It was a voluntary situation. They didn't have their money conscripted by the church, right? It was to give voluntarily from their hearts. So it wasn't socialism. But notice, they also weren't selling things to the highest bidder making contracts with one another, charging interest and things like that for the sole purpose of gaining a profit. So it's not capitalism either. This is not an economic system. Uh, looking at, uh, objectively at this passage, it's not teaching economics. Again, what we're seeing here is Christian charity. It's not, it's, it may sound cheesy, but a good way to think about it is it's not economics. This is Christonomics. This is what you have going on. This is not law. This is love, specifically love among the people of God. And these are Christians voluntarily taking care of one another as their hearts are moved upon by the Spirit of God. So then, back to our original question, is this text descriptive or prescriptive? Is it saying that this type of living situation is something that the Bible prescribes for all Christians throughout all times and in all places to live by? I would say that this text is describing what happened rather than prescribing it for all Christians everywhere at all times. So if you're a note taker, you can write down that my opinion, or you can go back and circle the word, is that this thing is describing, it's descriptive of what's taking place. Let me tell you why I think that, for for multiple reasons. First, history tells us that this living arrangement was not common in the early church, even among the early church fathers. Remember, even these believers in our text today, flip back just a little bit in the book of Acts chapter 2. This was a temporary environment because all these people were on a pilgrimage for Passover. Look at verses 9 through 11 in Acts chapter 2. These people were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, or proselytes, Cretans and Arabian. So, after this event was over, they all would have gone back to where they came from to spread the gospel. That was the point of them hearing the gospel preached in their own language here from the mouths of Peter and the apostles and going back to the other places where they're from, to spread the gospel. So this was a temporary situation. That's one reason I think this is descriptive and not prescriptive. And also, back in our, uh, our text for today in Acts chapter 4, in the immediate text itself, nor in the context, nor in the actual commands from the apostles in the letters that they wrote to the church later in the New Testament, do we ever see this type of, of communal living giving, given as a prescription. We just don't read them giving that. And since the apostles are writing, hey, live this way, I would think that if this is the part of the way they thought we should live, they would have written it to the letters of the churches, and they didn't. So what we really see here is neither capitalism nor socialism. It's a voluntary, voluntary, holistic attitude of charity among the followers of Jesus so that nobody wanted for anything. And so additionally, let me say that both the Old Testament and the New Testament, hear me clearly on this, both the Old Testament and the New Testament are crystal clear that if we want to follow the heart of God, then our individual and personal hearts should have compassion upon, be given, uh, giving toward the downtrodden, the less fortunate, those who are hurting, those who are in need, the sick, the ill, the poor, the hungry. That should be our heart, towards people like that. We should care for those people. That's the outwork and outworking of the gospel and the kingdom of God in our own lives. So I would say that the action was descriptive, what they were doing was descriptive, but the heart behind it, their selflessness, the we are in this thing together, is descriptive. I think God would prescribe that for all of us. Every Christian should have that heart motivation. I think that reflects the heart of God. That's the heart that we want to promote as Reach Life Church, by the way. It's reflected in the terms that we use about how we give to the proceeds of the church, how we handle our own giving. Uh, we follow the words of the Apostle Paul that are indeed a command. It's a prescription for godly living. If you're a note taker, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7. Paul says Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so hear me clearly. I strongly believe that if you're a follower of Jesus and He is Lord in your heart, no matter if you lean toward socialism or you lean toward capitalism or you lean toward uh, some mix thereof or whatever, if you think, one of those is the the right economic system, or if none of those is the right economic system, if you found yourself in close relationship with Christians anywhere in the world, anytime, any place, if you're living in close relationship with other believers, it's going to look almost exactly the same. If the Spirit of God is working on our hearts, none of us are going to sit by and see our brother and sister in Christ in need and not want to help. True? Right? We would never do that. We would never be greedy of the things that are ours and say, these are mine, not yours. Right? That's not the heart. But rather, our time, our stuff, our lives are open to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Mikasa is sukasa, right? That's that's how that's how we That's how we do it. Do you have a need? I want to help meet it. Do I have a need? I hope you want to help meet it. Um, Again, anywhere in the world you go, if it's a socialist nation, if it's a communist nation, if it's a free market, laissez-faire capitalism, it doesn't matter what it is. When you're in a Christian environment, 2,000 years ago all the way to the day, the heart of the Christian looks the same toward their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would say um, that those of us who have covenanted together as Reach Life Church, we're not perfect, but we try to live that way. We describe ourselves as not like family. We indeed are a true spiritual family. We want to be biblically rooted, gospel-centered, and love one another as, as, uh, before God in grace, in truth, and love as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we want to do. Um, And I think that's what our passage is teaching today. And I think the world needs more of that today. Would you not agree? I think we could agree. This week I was talking on Facebook with Adam Black, who's a pastor at Westwood, and another pastor friend of mine, Stephen Birch. And we were talking about the heat around these topics and how central they've become. This is all that matters right now, you know. and I wanted to read some of that post to you because Stephen Birch, the other pastor man, he wrote what I consider a brilliant uh, satirical version of Jesus' Great Commission from Matthew 28. And he called it uh, from his new, the New Political International Version. <laughs> That's coming up on the screen. Take a look at what he said. It's a great authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto donkeys and elephants. Go, therefore, and make arguments on every social media platform for your candidate, baptizing them in the name of the lesser of two evils, and teaching them to observe all your candidate has espoused, and lo, I am with you for four years, or perhaps eight. Now, I posted on there, I said, Let the point be clear to us all. As important as politics are, they are not the Savior. As important as it is to think through politics and even debate them, they are to be neither the primary hope nor the primary message of the followers of Jesus. Uh, Back in our Acts chapter 4, look at verse 33 if you still have it. Look at what the apostles were talking about. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And great grace was upon them all. So even they're living in this situation that is debated among capitalists and socialists, but their message was not about that situation they were living in. Their message was about the gospel, you guys. <laughs> right? Steadfastly, man. They would, the main thing was the main thing for them, wasn't it? It truly was. It was about the gospel. And then I said um, on Facebook, I said, let's all reflect today where our hope really rests. And there you will also find what you're leaning on as your source for peace and strength during this season. Are you caught up watching the stinking news 24 or reading the news 24/7? Do you find this discontentment in your heart no matter what environment you're in? You're you're always run, you got 15 windows open in your brain and this person's wrong and this person's wrong and I think this and do you have peace right now do you do you believe that this where the spirit of god is there's peace if you're a christian a follower of jesus you are legit uh in possession of the spirit of god and what tends to happen is we tend to take over control of ourselves and let other people do that of our own minds rather than the Spirit of God. That's why James preached the other week. We need to be filled with the Spirit, not other things. Not that other things aren't important, but they don't need to fill us. The Spirit of God needs to fill us. So again, economics do matter, man. They really do. They affect lots of people. But the economics can't save us. I don't care what system it is. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. So I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm not going to be ashamed of letting that be the main thing. I'm not going to be ashamed of having that stay the main thing, even as we talk about these other things. Again, these are Christonomics. Speaking of, of economics, of what something costs, let me just be reminded here and have us be reminded by asking the question, what did it cost Jesus to pay for the forgiveness of your sins? We had this big debt, right? We had economic debt before the Father of God, but before God the Father. A sin debt that we can never pay. What did it cost Jesus? Our sins. We had sins, didn't we, Lisa? For sure. What did it cost Jesus to get rid of our sins? cost Him everything. He held absolutely nothing back from wiping our slate clean before God. We here as Reach Life Church are familiar with this passage, but 2 Corinthians tells us that for our sake... He made him, It's God the Father making him Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, Jesus, we sinners, might become the righteousness of God. And so that's what's on the table for each of us today. We can be made right with God. You know that you can be righteous? Not just good, you can be righteous. Even by God's standard. Because there's been a great, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, there has been a great exchange take place. I've laid down my sinful life and said, Jesus, I've I've made a mess. And Jesus says, Let me take that. I'm going to lay my holy life on your account. And now when the Father looks at you, he sees me. Right? That's God's economy. Because Jesus paid it all, all to him I So maybe you needed to be reminded of that today. I I certainly did. Uh, Some of us need to be reminded that we can be reconciled with God. Some of us need to be reminded that we have been reconciled with God. And that's where our peace needs to come from, not the swirl around us. So I implore all of us today, if you're a follower of Jesus, run to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you've got a debt you can't pay. It's an eternal one. Run to Jesus. You can be righteous through Christ. Let me pray, and Pastor James is going to come lead us in a remembrance of what Jesus has paid for us. Father, you're gracious and good. We thank you that you changed not. 2,000 years ago, all the way back to the beginning even, you are God. Uh, People are people. (laughs) Here we are. We are trying our best to work out our salvation and the good of the world and one another with fear and trembling. Lord, help us to come before you and know that uh, you are so good. You are so steadfast. You alone are the anchor that will hold us. You alone. Pray in Christ's name.